Welcome to an inspiring message from Pastor John Cameron, lead pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will encourage, inspire, and empower you. My first sermon of 2019. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. Great to have you all here. If I could have some house light, it would be lovely. I want to look at all these beautiful people out there this morning. There you go. Anybody out there a goal setter when it comes to a new year? Anybody a goal setter? I think I could be characterized as a legitimate, crazy goal setter. Like, for me, I've always been a big, big goal setter, a stupidly large goal setter. In the early years of our marriage, I was always way, way, way over the top. I'd set all these different goals of what I wanted to do with our, with our money, with my time, with our health, with, with our food, with exercise. Every different area had all these goals, spiritual goals, all the verses I was going to memorize, all the books of the Bible I was going to read. I've always been just such a crazy goal setter. And as the years go on, I must admit, my goal-setting ability has matured. I, I, it's, I've gotten better. I'm still a bit out there, but there's a couple of improvements. Here's the first one. The first improvement for me is when I set goals, I like to spend a lot more time than I used to on what I'm going to do with my character. Uh, because in the early days, I used to be like, I'm going to be on time for everything. I'm going to love everyone. I'm never going to have an angry moment. I'm just going to be the perfect Christian. I'm just going to be amazing. And, and maybe it's because I knocked off a lot of easy rocks when I was in my 20s, and now there's only really hard parts for me to change left. But now my goals are more like one area of character for about a three-year time period. Anybody know? And, and, and even then, I feel like I've partially failed. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And, and I've, I've matured. And one of the biggest changes I've made to the way that I set my goals is I've learned that it's not good enough for me to just approach goal setting for a new year by saying, what do I want to do? And let's write it down. I've learned, I've learned I have, actually have to push back from it. I have to step back from the table and I have to ask myself some better questions. What really matters for me in my life? What are my values when it comes to my life? When I think about where I want to be and the, and the, the life that God has given to me, where am I actually aiming to go? Because before I sit down and write a lot of goals, I better work out in my life what really is of importance. What are my values? And then out of my values, shape my priorities, and out of my priorities, then define my goals. Because without that, I can make a lot of goals and achieve a lot of things and get to the end of this year and discover that what I invested my energy into isn't actually going to change my life. Am I talking to anybody today? And when it comes to us as believers, this is of greater importance than it is to most. Because have you noticed, or maybe it's just because where I search on Safari, because I know that Safari and Instagram are linked. But have you noticed that at the beginning of every year, there's like a whole lot of ads that are telling you how you can lose weight, what gym program you can do, how you can get advice on your finances. Anybody found that? And, and the truth is, guys, that even though there's nothing wrong with, you know, improving your health and your, 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 your body and all those kinds of things, at the end of the day, you could go on a new financial management course in 2019, but your money won't go into eternity. And you can get buff and rough and tough, but this body stays here when you die. And as you get older, it doesn't find itself responding quite so quickly. So I actually got to ask myself a question because what's of greatest importance to me as a Christian don't, won't pop up on Instagram. 
So I've got to ask myself, in light of eternity and in light of God's plan for my life, and if you're here today and you're not a Christian, then at the end of this service, we want to give you an opportunity to say yes to a relationship with Jesus because following Jesus is without a doubt the most important and life transformative experience that any person can ever have. I need a loud amen for that. And for us as Christians, we've got to ask ourselves a very, very important question. What matters most out of that form our priorities and from that form our goals? And as we're thinking about that in the early journey of this new year, I want you to to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the book of Exodus chapter 18 because we might be new into a new year, but I want to take you to where the nation of Israel is new as a nation. When we read Exodus chapter 18, it's so important for you and I to understand that a nation of Israel is only weeks or at best a few months old. They're probably like a 12-week-old nation, okay? Anybody ever had a 12-week-old baby? This thing is very new. It's in its infancy. When you read the book of Exodus, chapters 1 through 4 are all about who Moses is and his calling. 5 through 11 are all about the plagues. And then and the next few chapters are all about the Red Sea and you know, God bringing them out of Egypt and all of that story. Then we've got two chapters and, 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 and 16 and 17 that are all about where they're going to get their food from and how they got their water in the middle of this arid wilderness. And yet to come, still coming, yet to be spoken to is the 10 commandments. They don't have them yet. They don't have a tabernacle yet. They don't have instructions about their life and all of that yet. They are, they are a brand new people. What's awesome about them in Exodus 18 is that they are a people with a narrative, a story about where they have come from. They are people with a promise for the future. Yet they have what they don't have in the here and in the now is a established pattern of behavior. They have, they have not yet established values for what made them the community of people that they were. You follow that? What's cool about that for me is that if you're out there and you're new to Christianity today, what's cool about it is that you have a story as well, how you got to this point. And no matter how long you've been following Jesus, we all have a promise for the future. And right here in Exodus 18, what God gives to His people is actually so powerful. Before the Ten Commandments, before they had Sunday worship, before they had a tabernacle, before they had the Levitical laws. I mean, I know it's hardcore reading for us today, but the Levitical laws put them centuries ahead in medicine, economics. God gave them laws for life on clean eating before there was ever paleo. It's all right there in the Bible. And before they got any of that, we get Exodus 18. Let's go. Exodus chapter 18. Turn to the person next to you and say, this must be important. This must be important. Exodus 18 verse 13. The Bible says, the next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people and they stood around him from morning until evening. That's a long cue. Then his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, and he said, what is this you are doing? What the heck are you up to, buddy? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning until evening? And Moses answered him, because the people come to me because they're looking for God's will. And whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me, and I I help them out. They're looking for for some guidance. They're looking for a shepherd. They're looking for a leader. And Moses' father-in-law said, what you're doing is not good. And when your father-in-law says it's not good, he's basically saying, son, you're a moron. That's, what, that's what's happening right here. 
you and all these people, all the people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy and you can't handle it alone. Listen to me and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. He's saying, I reckon this is godly advice. I, I, I want you to understand, Moses, your first job, you must be the people's representative to God. You've got you to be a prayerful leader. You've got to teach them the ways and the decrees of God and you must show them how to live. You've actually got to live your life well too, but but then you've got to select some capable people. And you've got to put these people as leaders over thousands, over hundreds, over fifties, and over tens. And if you will do that, and the Lord will be with you, then it will make the load lighter because they will share it with you. And if you do this, and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain. And everybody else is going to go home satisfied as well. They hate cues as much as you do, Moses. That's what he's trying to say here. And what's amazing to me is that we are so early on in the story of Israel. We're brand new to what it is to be a people who are called by God's own name. And before we got any of the stuff that is so important to us in our faith, God said, a primary importance to me for every single one of my people is that they need a leader of 10. I want them to be in a community of 10. I want the 10s looked after by leaders of 50s. I want those leaders of 50s looked after by leaders of 100s. I want the leaders of 100s looked after by leaders of 1,000. But when it comes to my people, whom I love every single one of them, God said, I want them all to live in a group of 10. I want them all to be part of a community. I want everybody to be part of this nurturing and growing group. And from that group of 10, that's where they're going to be led. That's where they're going to receive their guidance. That's how they're going to be looked after. I want everybody to be part of a group of 10. Now here to rise, we still have those groups of 10. We call them around here life groups. And whilst the name might not be biblical, the concept, the principle absolutely is that God wants His people to be part of this group of 10 because that's where, not from just a Sunday service or from a podcast or a book, from that group of 10, that's where God's people are gonna receive spiritual leadership. It's where they're gonna receive prayer. It's where they, we get to help each other grow. It's where we find personal freedom. It's where we look after one another. And God, in the early weeks of His people, said, man, you all need to be part of this group of 10. Everybody needs to be part of a life group. And it's not just here, guys. When you read the Bible, it's impossible to, to separate yourself from the fact that God has always valued these groups of 10. I mean, when Jesus started his ministry, all he did really for three years was preach sermons and run a life group. He had a group of 12 men that he hung out with and he did life with. A verse will pop up on the screen, but in Mark 3, 14, it just says he had his group, his 12, that they might be with him and that he might send them out. He said, we're gonna do life together. That's what's gonna happen. When the early church started, Acts 2 verse 42 tells us that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. 
Now that's cool, but that's concept. What does that actually look like? That's verse 46. In Acts 2, 46, it says, they gathered in the temple courts for the apostles' teaching. That's what we're doing now. I'm not saying I'm an apostle. I'm saying a corporate gathering of believers for the purpose of teaching. That's what they were doing. And then it says they gathered in homes for fellowship, for the breaking of bread and prayer. In other words, they had a Sunday worship experience where they got God's Word and then they got into a home where they could pray over it, work it out with one another, and then apply it to their lives. And that's what God is saying for His people. He's saying, listen, we need to be part of that group of 10. We all need to be part of a life group. So we're diving into a new year, right? And we're busy setting goals. And I'm going to go for it. I'm believing 2019 is going to count for me. I believe it's going to be a great year for all of us. Do you believe that? I hope you do because the Bible says the way of the righteous just keeps winding upward. We should have a greater expectation for this year than we've had for any year of our lives. And I'm believing for great things for us and for me and my finances and our health and every arena of our lives. But push back. And ask yourself, before God said anything about what they ate, what diet they were on, before God said about even what their timetable was going to look like, He said, this is what you've got to think about. You've got to think about the fact that your spirit and your soul are of more importance than your money and your body. When you read the Bible, just realize that every verse you say in the New Testament presumes that people understand community Christianity. It assumes that people get the fact that you're supposed to be part of a group. And the Bible literally says that you should pray for your leader because they have watched for your soul. And at the end of the day, what needs to be most important to me as I'm starting a new year is that I'm putting myself and we're putting ourselves in environments that are going to make sure that we are taking care of the eternal parts of us the things of our lives that really count. And that's why God said, you need to be part of that life group. And guys, as we're starting into this new year, I wanted to say to you that this is a big thing for God. This is a big priority for God. And let me tell you why. The reason why God values our life group is because number one, God values prayerfulness in leadership. God actually cares that His people are being led by leaders that are prayerful, that are connected to Him. God wants every Christian to be part of an environment where they are prayerful and those that are leading them are doing so from a connectedness to God. He doesn't want us just leading out of our heads. He wants us leading out of our our heart and out of our overflow of a connectedness to God. And God's literally saying, I want every one of my people to be led by a leader that has the space and the time and the ability to pray for them so that when we get together, that's easily then to be a, a spiritual environment where I can receive from a leader that's actually been able to pray. And here we've got Moses, and he's trying to do it all by himself, and he doesn't have time for his family. He certainly doesn't have time to pray. He's just stressed out, trying to make it through the calendar week. And literally his father-in-law is like, this is not helping anyone. This constancy of demands, this awesomeness of pressure is only holding everybody back. Now, when everyone is part of a group of 10, 
We encourage every life group leader around here to have on their phone a reminders list on their iPhone with every member that's in their life group. And just to spend five minutes every day and to pray for their life group. Okay, there are 12,000 people that somewhere attend a service of Arise on a somewhat regular basis. Seven and a half thousand people a weekend will be in a church service of Arise every weekend. If I prayed for all of you by name, I couldn't get anything else done. But if everybody's got a leader of 10, because it's not about not caring, it's about making sure that the load is sustainable, right? It's making sure that everybody gets that prayer, everybody gets that nurture. And that's why everybody needs to be part of a group of 10 so that together we're all getting that prayer. Okay, number two, the second thing that God values for us in our lives is healing relationships. God values in our lives that we have relationships that are gonna help us to find healing in our lives. Now, listen, it's true of everybody here in this message that we all need to grow and change in some area of our lives. And the person that needs to change the most is the person who's saying, no, nah, I'm good. I mean, that right there is probably the biggest rock that needs to change, okay? Because the more I journey with God, the closer I get to God, the further I realize I still have to go. And if you uh, know what I'm talking about, give me a little amen out there, right? Yeah, this is true. Because we all have issues, darkness. We've all got junk in the trunk, the Americans say. We've all got We've all got stuff in our lives that needs to be changed, healed, and to be worked out. And our question is, how is that growth and healing going to take place? Well, I want to tell you where it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen because you just downloaded a podcast. It's not going to happen just because you've got an audio book and you signed up for a new online course. It's not going to happen even because you're in church on a Sunday, as important as that is. The Bible gives us absolute clarity on how we get that healing, and that freedom, and that change to our lives. James 5, 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can be healed. Now, before anybody goes crazy, let me tell you what that doesn't look like. We're not looking for somebody to jump up in a church service and start confessing their sins. Why? Because that isn't going to help you and that isn't going to help anybody else. It's not a context of intimacy, and it's not what the Bible's talking about. You get your teaching in the temple court, and you get your fellowship and prayer when you gather with your group of 10. So in that group of 10, listen, what in this environment would not be helpful is life-giving in another. And when I get with my group of 10, this is what confessing my sin looks like. If I was struggling in my marriage and I'm in a men's group and I get with my boys and I say, guys, there's more anger in my marriage than is helpful right now. And, you know, I mean, and then normally for men, as we verbalize our problem, we start to work out why we have the problem. So then the guy's like, there's pressure at work, there's layoffs, I'm carrying it, I'm trying to work harder. My mind's absent, my wife still wants connection. I'm not telling her what's wrong because I'm fearful about it. And the guy is confessing his sin. And then his boys around him say, let's pray. And by the way, bro, my marriage has been through some tough seasons and this is what I learned. That's gonna bring so much change. 
to that person's life. You can be free of any problem in your life. There's nothing in your life that can't be changed. But your secrets are Satan's strongholds. And lonely Christians don't change. And if we want to have that healing touch in our lives, because God really does, it's so easy to grow. But we have to be willing to be part of this, right? We've got to get with that group of 10. And then we've got to commit that that group of 10 is going to be a healing relationship for me and it's going to be a healing relationship for my group. But if together we just said, listen, this is going to be important to us in our lives that we're part of a healing relationship, then my friends, I believe we could really be different by the end of this year. We could help each other to grow this year. That the church could actually strengthen one another and together we could see marriages better and addictions broken. And young people could work out their identity challenges and we could, we could grow and be better people. I think that's worthy of a really big clap, don't you? God's saying, I value healing relationships. Okay, number three, the third thing that God values is relational discipleship. God values relational discipleship. Now, if you're new to Christianity, you're like, what's that discipleship word all about? It's a fancy word to mean that I'm growing to become more like Jesus because someone is helping me, instructing me. And because of that, I'm maturing and growing. That's what discipleship means. Relational discipleship because God always assumed that people would grow and mature in the context of relationships. Listen, the Bible is not written to a Western individualistic way of thinking. It's a relatively new phenomenon, only several hundred years old, that we would think of ourselves as islands disconnected from anybody else. It's not real, by the way. It's entirely false. The thought of a self-made millionaire, like, oh, you did it by yourself, did you? Right, you did all the work. You, did every, you never had a faithful worker. You never, never had an accountant that gave you any advice. It's, it's so stupid that we ever think individualism works. It does not work. Every success is a collaborative experience. And the Bible is written in the context of relationship. So when we, grow, when we think about being discipled and being someone that is maturing and growing, the Bible is assuming that we are going to grow because we're part of a connected environment. That's my life group. Listen, there's a difference between instruction and discipleship. In fact, Paul said, you've got a lot of instructors. You've got a lot of audio books. You've got a lot of podcasts. But at the end of the day, there's only a few fathers. Because at the end of the day, you could get out there and say, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna download this fitness tutorial program and I'm gonna go on this spiritual, you know, I'm gonna learn all the stuff about the Bible from this online Bible course. And you could still be a grumpy, angry, sullen Christian. You could be. But when you get with a group of people who know you, that's when somebody's gonna say to you, bro, you know a lot of scripture, but your character sucks. <laughs> and honestly, before you memorize another verse, you might actually just have to work out how to be nice. It is necessary for every single one of us that we have people in our lives that can speak into who we are. Because it is only through relationship 
that we achieve discipleship. I want to say that again. It is only through relationship that we ever have discipleship. You are never, ever going to grow as a believer if your life is alone. And listen, it's important that I say this. You've got to hear this. There are three ways primarily that you're going to hear God's voice. Okay? You're going to hear God's voice every time you read this book. 31,102 verses, this is the Word of God, and I hear God's voice every time I open it, because every single page is His Word. And if you believe that, say amen. It's His voice. The second way I'm going to hear God's voice is I am literally going to, I'm going to have God's voice speak to me. I'm going to feel disquiet in my spirit, a whisper from heaven. I'm going to have a vision or a dream, but I'm going to hear God's voice in one of the ways that He speaks. But the third way I'm going to hear God's voice in my life is other people. And if I'm not part of a life group, I could be, listen, I, I want you to hear this. This is probably the most common one. Is, is that God speaks to you. God speaks to me through other people. They're just gonna say things to us like, they're gonna say, come on man, keep going. You're ready to quit on something and they're like, don't do that. I wouldn't go there. But I picked that attitude up. That, that's often not just the person, that's God trying to get your attention. And you're not going to get it by just standing and, you know, around with a bunch of guys playing pool. You're going to get it when you're part of a community, unless it's your life group, but you're not going to get it. <laughs> guys can play pool. Sometimes the better way for us to talk is to do something. But, but at the end of the day, it's going to come because I'm part of a group of other believers in my life. If I didn't as a person, recognize that God could speak to me through other people, I wouldn't be living in Wellington. You've heard me say a thousand times, church, God called me to Wellington. Let me tell you how that works. I went to one meeting and a guy says, I was praying for you, God said Wellington. I went to another environment, God said Wellington. Through someone who was praying for me. Another person, John, have you ever considered Wellington? God called me, God spoke to me, through people. And it's going to be in that context of that faith community that you're going to get relationally discipled. And you know what? Many people reject that instruction as being God's voice in their lives. Well, that's not the Lord. And if you do that, you're going to miss out on so much of the growth and maturity God's trying to bring to you in your life. Is this helping anyone? Okay, number four, we've got to keep going. The fourth way is God, God values care through community. God values that we are all cared for because we are part of a community that is helping us to, you know, mature and to find wholeness and, and to get the care that every single one of us need. Did you know that the very first thing God ever said in the Bible about humanity was when he looked at Adam before he created Eve, and in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, God's first observation about the pinnacle of his creation, he said, it's not good for the man to be alone. It's not good for people to be disconnected relationally. It's not good to be a solo Christian. And the best way for you and I to know God's will, to grow, to flourish in our lives is when we are part of a community, a group of 10 that look after us when we are in need of just even just encouragement or, or we're going through life transitions 
or we just need help because we, you know, we just had a baby and we need a few meals. Whenever that happens, that, that's God's will that a community gets wrapped around that person to care for them. Um, you know, Tony Clark's one of my dear friends, a member of the city campus. I can see his wife, Jennifer, over here. And, you know, Tony and Jennifer have been part of Arise since it was only a few weeks old in the bright yellow room. And, you know, we, we've, been, we've been on this journey for a long time. And I think it was either last year or potentially the year before, Tony was out riding his bicycle, his road bicycle, in, in the back of, of Wellington. And as he was riding through the hills, he had a really bad accident and got messed up pretty bad, hit his head. Helicopter, helicopter had to come and grab him and take him to the hospital. And, and uh, somehow word reached me, and I, I don't know what I did, whether I called Tony or whether I called Jennifer, but I, I literally picked up my phone. I said to the kids, kids, I'm going. I got, I got to go out. I said to Jillian, I'll see you soon. Tony's, Tony's in hospital. I had the keys, and I was out the front door of my house. I remember being on the driveway, and I got this, the, the, uh, this reply from Tony. I said, I'm, I'm on my way. I'm pretty sure we're on the phone. It could have been a text. But as we're having this exchange, Tony said, John, please don't come. He said, I'm, I'm here in, in you know, accident emergency, but my life group is already here. And they've got so many people here already, they, they're wanting people to go. So, so I'm his pastor, you know. And I, I get bounced. That is God's will. That's God's will, not just for Tony Clark. That's God's will for you. See, friends, this is, this is where we, we divorce it. And you've got to understand that as a pastor today, my job is not to do the ministry of this church. My job is to equip the saints. Our job as pastors is to equip God's people so that when, when I need somebody to come around me and pray for me, my life group does that. When I need somebody to visit me in a hospital, that's my life group. That life group is the church. Oh, no pastor visited me. No, no, no. The life group is what God designed. That's where God wants you to be part of. That's the church. That's this church. Is when your life group turns up to help you in your time of need. Let's not have an Old Testament Christianity that revolves around a pastor showing up with, you know, like a holy blessing and then you can get a miracle in your life. No, the prayer of your life group can change you. The visitation of your life group can encourage you. The counsel of your life group leader can be the wisdom that you need. Hello. Okay, the, here's the last one. The last one is uh, that God values for every single Christian an unselfish faith. God values for every single one of us that our Christianity isn't about us. Christianity's the only thing in the world that from the moment you join it, it's been all about you, and then when you join it, it's just not about you anymore. It's about somebody else who needs the same experience that you've had. Don't, anyone know what I'm talking about? Anybody out there been part of the journey of faith for a little while, but you still remember when you said yes to Jesus? I still remember that altar call for salvation. I still remember standing at the front of that little church in the back of New Lynn, famous only for one thing that Richard Preble used to vote there. Like that, that's, that's all you'd ever know my church by, but little church, 100 people in it. But I still remember that. I remember when I went to a youth rally and I heard a sermon on Jeremiah 29, 11, and I was blown away. 
to discover that God had a plan and a dream for my life. It changed my life to discover that. Now the truth is I now know that. I'm still following Jesus. I don't have to say yes to the salvation appeal anymore. And I know that God has a plan for me in my life. But hundreds of thousands don't. And if I am a lone Christian, then what tends to happen is I start putting everything about church life through this very, very narrow, and let's be honest, a very selfish filter. Did that help me? Did that feed me? I'm 45, but it's all about me. And suddenly we're wanting to get more out of it for us. Do you know, I want to know how to cure that. Get connected to others. Because then the sermon might be on marriage. And if you are married out there, then you might be thinking, my marriage is actually rock star this year. It wasn't last year, but it is now. And I'm glad I can, I'm encouraged by this, but I actually don't need to hear it. But I'm praying for Bob. Because Bob and Sarah, they really need to hear this talk. And you, baptism services, this for me is the ultimate thing. When you do a baptism service, you quickly start to figure out who's in a life group and who isn't. Because, I mean, I stand down here, I don't actually baptize people in this church because I'm like Jesus. No, but I'm just, I'm, I'm, not, I'm normally about to preach, so, so I, don't, I don't do the baptisms normally. But I'm normally, I'm normally preparing my message, but I'm standing, you guys make me naughty. I'm standing down the front. I'll be standing down the front of the service, and this is what happens. Whole life groups come down. And people are crying. People have been saved for forever, are weeping because they know Johnny's story. And in the same service, you'll have a lot of Christians who hear the morning announcements and like, baptisms? Skipping it. What's the difference? I'm not, I'm not writing off anybody who's ever stayed home on a baptism. I'm just telling you, when you're connected to other people, you'll get a lot more out of this faith. Do you know what discipleship actually means? It just means I'm following Jesus so you can follow me. I mean, if you've said yes to Jesus, you can disciple somebody. Might be still messed up, but there's lots of people who don't know Jesus. And then you get your marriage sorted out. That You still might be, you know, <laughs> you still might might not have a vocabulary that's redeemed. But if your marriage is sorted out, you can still disciple someone. And then every journey that we go, we can help. But when, when I get individualistic, when I become separated from God's will, well then suddenly, suddenly that river of life that God's trying to flow through me, then allow my group of 10 to be impacted by it and then grow out and touch the rest of the world becomes a swamp where I've got a store of God's will in my heart, but not a way of helping anybody with what I've been blessed by. And God doesn't want that for anybody. So that's why God said, listen, before I even give you the 10 commandments, get in a group of 10. As we're launching into this year, everybody, I wanna tell you what needs to be a top priority for you. You need to be part of a group of 10. Everybody needs a life group in their life. Don't set your fitness goals and your work goals and your this goal and your that goal without asking yourself the question, how can I be connected to other people in a life-giving environment 
so that I can then make this Christian thing work in my life. And tell me, let me tell you, Christianity doesn't work without a group of 10. It doesn't work without a group of 10. Now, if you need help with that group of 10, let me tell you two ways that right now, when you walk out the door of this auditorium, you can get this sorted out. Firstly, if you've never been through Pathway Week 2, we wanna invite you to come straight after the service. I think it'll be 11.45 probably. There'll be a Pathway for you today, and this whole week of Pathway is devoted to life groups. You'll find out how you can get in a life group. You'll also find out a whole lot of other cool things about Arise as well. Secondly, if you've already been through week two of Pathway, but you're not currently in a life group, then today out there in the foyer are hundreds of life group leaders and care pastors, our team, the Arise team, and we would love to help anybody that wants to find a life group and get on that journey before you even leave this auditorium today. Anybody believe God really does care about His people? Come on, if you believe it, why don't you jump to your feet together this morning, everyone? Father, in the name of Jesus, I just want to thank you for your people. I thank you, God, that you love us. I thank you that you desire for us to be redeemed and whole and transformed and changed. And God, I pray right now in the mighty name of Jesus that you would knit us together as living stones into your body, connected to one another on a journey of health and wholeness. Let the world know that we are your disciples because we genuinely care about each other. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and Pastor John Cameron, visit arisechurch.com or connect with us on Instagram at Arise Church and at John Cameron NZ.